Welcome to Psychology to Live By. Today is a Q&A with some really realistic people. Our topic today is practising realistic optimism. And our wonderful participants have watched the podcast of that name, which you can see or listen to at my website, drchris.life. But I'll do a quick summary now before we go into our Q&A. Optimism is only really helpful if it's grounded in reality. So we're talking about realistic optimism, a faith in the future that accepts the most inconvenient facts and always focuses on what's helpful. Our starting point is that we only experience the world through our minds. It follows, therefore, that we can positively change our experience if we can change our mindsets. And to change our mindsets, two questions are helpful. The first question is, what am I attending to? What am I selecting out of the vast array of sensory stimuli? The second question is, how am I paying attention? What's the manner or style of my thinking? Now, the most important implication of this is that there are choices we can make that change our life experience no matter what reality confronts us. And a simple way to understand this is via the equation R plus M equals E, or reality plus mindset equals experience. Let's start with what I'm paying attention to. What we shouldn't do is focus on things that concern us that are outside our circle of influence. Our experience then will be one of helplessness and hopelessness. For example, we may spend too long watching mainstream media and too long doom scrolling through social media. What should we attend to instead? We ought to shift our attention to things that reflect our higher values and purposes and that we can do something useful about, like exercising or focusing on our work or telling our beloved how much we love them. Secondly, the way we think about events changes our experience of reality. So here's an everyday example. Traffic incidents. The triggering reality might be that someone cuts in on you without indicating. And there's no thank you wave either. You respond by hitting the brakes, your heart rate jumps, but you then might become angry with them. You might swear out loud at them, indulge in hand gestures, etc. But perhaps the very next day, virtually the same thing happens. You have the initial anxiety and automatic response, but then it's like water off a duck's back. You're relaxed. So how can the same reality lead to such different outcomes? Well, obviously the answer is different mindsets. The same reality, but a changed mindset leads to a changed experience. So a very powerful way to edit or improve our mindset is to catch ourselves in the act of pessimism. Compared to realistic pessimists, people who orient to the world with realistic optimism are healthier, they catch less diseases, they live longer, they're more successful, and they're happier in relationships. And there are three styles of thought, the so-called three Ps of pessimism, that make life's difficulties worse than they need be. For example, we may make such events more permanent by using language such as, I'll never get a job, and this always happens or we might make them more pervasive by seeing them as a part of everything's going wrong or nothing's going right. Or we might make them too personal 
by automatically blaming ourselves. Now, on the other hand, by making adverse uh, events more temporary, less pervasive and not about myself, we can open up the benefits of realistic optimism. And finally, another powerful tool in building realistic optimism is the two conditions test. So next time you experience any negative emotion, ask yourself two questions. First, ask yourself, is my thinking realistic? Is it an exaggeration or overgeneralization? If it's not realistic, you should drop the upset. But if it is realistic, next ask yourself, is my thinking helpful? Is it wise or constructive? Not many upsets survive this second question answered honestly. So to sum up, it's been my sad observation that generally people would rather be right than happy. So my advice to you is to challenge your mindsets and see if you can learn to rather be happy than right. Okay, so that, that's by way of summary of the podcast uh, that my, my good friends have watched. And let's, uh, let's join them now in the Q&A. And as always, uh, I'm, I'm impatient with curiosity about what you took from the, uh, the video of the podcast. Um, and um, I'll leave it open to who, who's really impatient to jump in first with their insights and questions. Who, who might that be? Well, I'm very curious. <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, in listening to the podcast, there was two, two situations that came up for me. One, a work situation, one, a personal um, relationship uh, situation in that um, I believe those individuals to need a shift in mindset. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe, maybe not having too much of an understanding of their circle of influence in thinking about coaching, perhaps, like what what would you suggest as a strategy to steer them away from the three P's? How could you um, help them to like kind of gain control of that, that experience? Okay. Fantastic. And of course it, it's, it's uh, generally speaking, um, it's more common that it'll be one or two of the P's rather than all three. Right. So if the first thing would be to be listening in such a way, you know, are they making it more pervasive uh, are they, uh, or are they making it more permanent? Or is the problem that they they overblame themselves for negative outcomes, right? Because um, sometimes they'll do the opposite in, on the third P. They won't take enough responsibility. Um, and uh, Martin Seligman, the guy who came up with this idea and spent decades working on it, on the personal dimension, the, the optimal place is to be sort of in the middle or average. So sometimes we, we ought to blame ourselves for bad things. Um, so first thing is, where are they being pessimistic in, in what way? And in coaching them, um, they're probably unaware of that, all right? And um, if, if they don't know you're coaching them, like if it's just a conversation you're having, you can, um, you can subtly uh, edit their language, reflecting it back to them. So if they're saying everything's stuffed, you know, you might reflect it back to say, so this is stuffed and this is stuffed, right? So you're moving them from everything to these things, 
because remember this is realistic optimism if, if there are things that are a problem we can soften the effect by by making it more specific in this case less pervasive right and so although it's not going to necessarily make them happy it's going to be moving them quite you know and then you say tell me the things or when did it happen and then you can maybe point out when it's not happening and then you can maybe have a collaborative conversation about, well, what's the difference between these two times or these two situations? All right, so it's it's sort of reducing that overgeneralisation um, and getting them to focus on it. Now, if it's more formal coaching, you know, like if, if you've actually got permission uh, to talk to them about this, you could share the three Ps with them, you know, and say, what do you think? You know, um, and but yeah, that's a different interpersonal situation, isn't it? Um, but maybe one that you come across uh, in your role, uh, you know, in human resources. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, and coming approaching something like that from that coaching standpoint, with the permission to be a coach, um, could perhaps move help them move away from their their rightness, um, which can be a challenge. But yeah, but maybe you could play the podcast to them as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great, Karen. Who's next? You know, Karen, it's really interesting because I went to a very, very similar train of thought, which was interpersonal and in particular interpersonal conflict, uh, where we think back to the R or, or what is it, mindset and experience. Reality, reality yeah. plus yeah. mindset equals experience. Equals experience. Yeah. And so yeah. the reality might be the same and it might be the two different mindsets that cause the friction or the conflict in the first place Yeah, uh, that lead to those, you know, those two different experiences um, and trying to reconcile that gap between those two different experiences becomes part of the challenge. And, you know, we've, uh, you've spoken, I think on previous podcasts about that. Is it helpful? Is it, is it a uh, realistic kind of uh, process, which I find personally really, really useful. Anytime I find myself in any sort of spiral is like that, that meta thought process of saying, okay, is this pathway that I'm going down? Is it realistic? Is it helpful? As you say, usually it doesn't satisfy those two conditions, but also if I were to trot that out in a moment of conflict and say, well, is your thinking helpful and is it realistic? It's sort of like asking an angry person to calm down, right? It, 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 it's going to have the opposite impact. Um, and so, you know, this is maybe a, a slightly different twist on Karen's approach, but is like in those moments of conflict, is there a way that we can help nudge that person to be thinking about their own yeah. um, in, or, or lack of objectivity perhaps in the situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, f the first thing to say here is that, you know, one of the implications of that equation is that we're all operating in, in terms of interpretations of the world. None of us have got like pristine access to the reality. It's always filtered through our mind. So... There should be what you know you could call epistemic humility you know some humility around what we know um and so in approaching it i think that um as you say we've got two people with the same reality but they're just seeing it very differently and of course both parties think they're seeing it correctly <laughs> and uh 
and and if and if there's important things on the line here, you know, reputation or, um, you know, status or uh, you know whatever, um, we don't take well to being told we're wrong, right? So we're gonna we're gonna double down on the, on that. Um, so maybe a a prior thing before you can even get to what I was talking to Karen about is um, it is to find what we share, you know, like, we, we, you know, what's the outcome we want? So it's a sort of metacognitive level. It's, you know, you say to a person, this ain't going good at the moment, is it? You know, this is not what I want. I'd really like it if we could talk this through and, you know, I, I really respect you, uh, but we've obviously got a very different point of view. So you take, you know, you're taking care of that implicit self-protection um, and um, so you've got to find the common ground before you can figure out why you disagree on the facts, if I put it that way. So you, you've kind of got to get the relationship sorted before you can talk about what you're disagreeing about, right? And, um, you know, all of us, um, all of us are biased, and we're not neutral about our biases, you know, like we we get quite emotional about them um, and especially when they're challenged. And so um, people often avoid having this conversation with another person because of that because they know that I feel really intense, right? So that's a really, you know, unsurprisingly, Chris, that's a really curly question, Um you know, you, you've got a reputation for this, or at least I'm creating that reputation for you on this podcast. But um, uh, I hope that's, that's that's sort of a part of an answer. There's some yeah. preparatory work to, to, to do before you can really start talking about the three Ps or yeah. the yeah, two no, conditions makes, test. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Who's who's next? Well, and as a kind of follow up to that, it's it it must be complicated because some people. Are they born that way? How much of it <laughs> is learned? Um, yeah. mm. I mean, I, I'm sure it varies, but you you, you know that more than me. <laughs> yeah, well, as it turns out, I mean, Martin Seligman, who is very, very famous psychologist, and he, you know, let's just say, worked for decades on optimism, pessimism, and he's one of the founders of positive psychology. So he's, you know, he's head of the American Psychological Association for a while. He's, he's a very important figure. His view in his work, I don't know whether he's changed it, was that it's learned, okay. Uh, but I think that's not necessarily everyone's view in within psychology. So it's probably still a bit of an open question. So, for example, as you as you no doubt know, Colleen, I, you know, I'm very interested in in personality and particularly how strongly genetic it is, right? And so some people are just naturally more open to experience. Some people are more, you know, lower on agreeableness, for example. Um, and that's probably going to interact with this. Uh, and if you're low on openness and you're more disagreeable, it's going to be harder to change your mind. And depending on how old you are and life experience. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and <laughs> Yeah. You know, for example, even if we, you know, were to talk about the skills that we're talking about today, if, what an advantage to learn this, have this knowledge and these skills 
so that we can take that metacognitive stance and maybe we can start to practice in changes to our emotional and cognitive habits, our mindset habits. Um, you know, and in a way, I think that's that's what we're trying to do in life. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out what's helpful, what's wise, uh, rather than what we feel is right. Uh, this is such a huge area of inquiry. You know, I don't think it's ever been more relevant. If you know, if you think about polarization, and you know, and people's you know very strongly held differences of you know view and their animosity to each other. Um, so um, you know, but the question of whether people are born like this, probably some people have more of a propensity to it, but then. Obviously, what happens in your life is going to be very, very important. Um, yeah, so definitely. Not I think that so much of it is it stems from insecurity or or that fear base. Um, yeah, control. yeah. I think that's right, and you know, this is the existential dilemma that's called being a human being. You know, um, we are insecure. As I like to say, it's not going to end well. <laughs> But we spend a fair bit of our life worrying about things not going well, right? And you know, you know, in, perhaps in another podcast we can talk about you know the evolutionary origins of that. But suffice it to say, our interpersonal status is was and probably still is very central to our survival and whether we're thriving or not. So it makes perfect sense. It's it's rational to defend our our status in the village you know even if it's not wise <laughs> it's it's not irrational in that sense um and in fact um we will our belonging and our um our status in our groups is actually more important to us than the truth value of of what we're ad ad adhering to and from a evolutionary point of view that's completely rational but obviously, in a science-based view, that's completely irrational um, and unwise because we live in a safer world. We don't necessarily have to cleave so closely to to, to groups. Mm. Big, big, big implications for that question, Colin. I think um, we've seen that play out in U.S. politics too. It's better to be wrong and part of a group than to look at science and realize that it's right yeah. that's right and um you know but until we understand that you know until we understand why there's sort of good reasons to uh to be more interested in the in the belonging and the and the belief in this case that someone's going to look after my interests that they, they, they people who followed trump for example obviously many 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 of them realized something who's telling lies and this and that but they had other larger interests at stake, willing to overlook those things because it's more important to them to feel like they had they were joining a group that was going to give them some agency and power. Or the fear of it all being taken away. Yeah, both at the same time, exactly. So, um, yeah, now, Terry, had, 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 did you have... Uh, a question or an insight you wanted to share just generally um, i i just a just a like thought and i call it um traffic karma 
where I turn into, I've learned to train myself to turn into an observer. When, you know, someone comes smoking up beside me and, you know, yeah. cuts and cuts in my front, I, I go, hmm, I wonder what my odds are that by the time that I turn off, I'm actually ahead of this person. Yes. Eight times out of like 10, I am, and I'm not doing any doing anything different. Yeah. So that kind of makes me smile and I go on my way. But That's interesting. I've, I've, I've just found that it, it like no longer bothers me. I, I just, mm. I observe it through a lens of, hmm, I wonder how this is going to work out. Nice. Um, a couple of things to say about that, Terry. Um, I mean, it demonstrates uh, that we can learn um, how to have all, more, more equanimity, more okayness when the reality outside us, you know, is uh, for most people is going to trigger negative emotion, right? And indeed, as you know, no doubt in your past it has, but you've learned, right? And that's the great thing that um, this knowledge about what's wise can carry us into the future in future interactions, right? And um, I think that's very, very important. Um, the other thing there is, um, you know, the two conditions test. It's like, you go through it maybe a hundred times before you eventually go, is this wise? Is this helpful? It's a bit like that saying, you know, um, you know, someone's ignorant, you know, you know, let's say you're upset by it, by them. That's what's that saying? Um, are you going to let them live rent free in your head? <laughs> I really like that because it, it has that sense in, in which they've done something and then we might be stewing on it for days, weeks, months, years. They're long gone. Uh, and so it, it's, it's, I think, factually true to say that in those situations, we're the ones upsetting ourselves because they're no longer here. Right? You know, it's also, though, out of that is it's not like a, a classical zero sum where your loss by having them in your head is their benefit. They don't even know. It's it's only downside for the person yeah. that around. You've given it's, them control of your experience. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't even know that. They don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just, I just give them I give them control of my curiosity. Well they they're triggering now curiosity in you. Yeah. Which is which, which is a new you've practiced in a new habit that is that is much wiser. Well, believe me, you're driving kids to school in this city. <laughs> you need it. I mean, you get plenty of practice <laughs> in in, oh. uh, in in the equanimity. Monday, Monday was one of the best. There must have been like eight things that happened. Two by you know bus drivers, which you like normally don't see. Usually, they're the, they are the most sane people. But exactly. They were doing moves that was backing traffic up across an inter like intersection with a red light. It was just. Awesome. I mean, for. for, for <laughs> For social psychologists, traffic is a gold mine. You know, like it's a tr it's a treasure trove. Um, I just I just looked at all these people that are jammed up, thinking that they're going to beat the bus. The bus cut them off, and now they're all stuck in a red light, and no traffic can go the uh, like other way. And I'm just sitting there, just <laughs> laughing. Fantastic. So you know, like, and and of course, this all demonstrates this this human freedom, the potential human freedom we have, in that. We can't avoid these situations that, that you know, as you, as you say, Terry, Monday is going to be like that. 
Um, but we can change the experience, and that's that that that's the key. That that's where human freedom resides. And uh, so sometimes though we have to surrender being right, because it's our righteousness that's upsetting us in the end. And if we can shift what we pay attention to and the way we're paying attention, we can create in our lives more positive experiences, more positive emotions. But you know, always being balanced by, but not by ignoring reality, but by reappraising it. Alrighty. That's absolutely excellent. Uh, I'm not surprised. Um, and um, I look forward to when we get together again to you know, whatever our next uh, podcast is. So uh, take care, guys, and uh, thank you so much.